and welcome back to the ninth installment of the Cold Steel Pen, my podcast where I talk everything Joyce and Ulysses, all while trying to navigate the personal odyssey of writing my debut poetry collection. With Scylla and Charybdis, we have reached the halfway point of Ulysses. So far, we've discussed a range of topics loosely connected to poetry and Ulysses, ranging from the place of the poet in the world to the importance of physical sensation for memory. Although we've remained with Bloom, we now return to Stephen for a discussion on the relationship between an artist and their creation. In our contemporary, we've been drilled to fear discussions surrounding an artist's biography and understanding their work. Much of this takes its impetus from Roland Barthes' The Death of the Author and the conception of persona, that an author is speaking through a mask, one that cannot be themselves. I'm sure you can recall English teachers insisting on the speaker instead of the author, as if they were a disembodied voice warbling to the wilderness. Ulysses complicates this notion, though, by being so explicitly biographical that it is almost impossible to not think of Joyce's own life and experiences in Dublin. This episode introduces us to some useful dualities in this regard, namely the relationship of an artist to their creation as a father to their son. In Ulysses, as in Stephen's theorizing, you get the sense that an artist is unable to escape their creation. The relationship of father to son is particularly apt here. Stevens suggests that a father cannot love their son because their relationship is foregrounded in envy. The son will always represent something that the father once was and can never be again. The son is a rival through which the father rewatches their life unfold. At birth, the son emerges as a picture of beauty, unmarred by the world, radiant in the eyes of the father. The son will always be something the father cannot be, despite being made in his image. A son is also a lot like a literary text, as they are born of the father and the mother. This interaction between the two makes the son unlike the father, despite their common gender. The son has a relationship to the mother that the father cannot, like the text has a relationship to the world that the artist cannot. In this way, we can think of a text as the child of the artist and their physical world. This entrance of the world in union with the father creates something distinct, that will outlive the father. Besides this relationship of author to text, we should also consider the fabric that becomes the whole. In discussion over Shakespeare, we get, I mean, when we read the poetry of King Lear, what is it to us how the poet lived? Peeping and prying into green room gossip of the day, the poets drinking the poet's debts. Stephen nonetheless thinks there is something to this peeping and prying, and that the text cannot escape from the personal life of the poet. This isn't to say that the text is a direct representation, but it seems foolish to me to suggest that a text is severed, as it were, from its creator. I don't think that any of us can write from position outside of ourselves. This would require us to completely remove ourselves from our own experiences and isolate us from, around the, world, from the world around us. As humans, we are moved by what we ourselves have experienced. When we sit down to write, others will only believe what we know, what has passed through our own consciousness. Nowhere is this more apparent than in the world of poetry, where the personal is offered up as a hand to welcome the reader out of the woods and into the poetic world. Stephen seems to say that nothing is trivial. Art can be about drinking and debts and anything that one experiences. Let the artist speak and the critic listen. If we didn't want to peep and pry, then we wouldn't read in the first place. The very act of reading is voyeuristic, 
sneaking into worlds where we don't belong.